Welcome, everybody, to, uh, to church. Um, uh, I think I can say that because I've been here long enough that I can welcome you. <laughs> welcome. So um, I'm so glad to be here. I'm always glad to be here. Um, this is, you guys are family to us, uh, to me. My family's not here today. They're all in Disneyland. Yeah, don't, don't say, uh, I'm not sad about it. I'm not sad to miss that at all. That's, I, am, I am $300 saved. So I am fine not being there right now. Um, yeah, no, I am excited to be here. I'm always glad to be here. I love being uh, with you all. And, um, and I'm excited that you all are in this uh, reading plan. Uh, I, I love when... Um, I love being a part of a community that starts to work through any sort of reading plan together uh, because there's a lot of incredible things that happen when we are all focused on the same thing. And uh, particularly, I love, especially 90 Days of Jesus, reading through the Gospels, there is something that happens when we set aside time uh, as a group and as a community, as a church, as a body of Christ to read something particularly when we focus on the gospels um in the last man I, in the last few months i um i have found myself watching uh everything around me whether it's my local community up to my nation up to my world that i live in um and seeing the way that we treat people and the way that we treat one another and the way we speak about one another. And, um, and I have been thinking a lot about how uh, I just really need to get myself saturated in the gospel and the life of Jesus and the teachings of Jesus. And what is what has Jesus actually called me to live? Uh, there really just are times in our life when we need to refocus our eyes, not just mine, not just yours, but our eyes on Jesus when everything around us is stirring. And, um, and I want to I I show you something. If you want to turn to Luke 7 with me, uh, I had this kind of bit of encouragement just in the midst of your, this isn't where I'm uh, going to focus today, but this is something that uh, came up to me as I was thinking through your reading plan and your, uh, the, kind of the challenge that you all are on. Um, and I hope that it might be a little bit encouraging. And this story is, is, a, is a great story to me, mostly because of how Jesus interacts with, uh, with not the woman, but with the man that's in this story. Let's look at verse 36 in chapter 7 of Luke. Uh, one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. This is Jesus, by the way was asked to come in. Verse 37, And behold, a woman of the city, who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of anointment, and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Verse 39, Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, He said to himself, if this man were an actual prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. She is. Uh, Verse 40. Uh, And Jesus answering him said to him, Simon, 
I have something to say to you. That is never good, right? When Jesus is like, you know what? I have something to tell you. Uh, and he answered, well, then say it, teacher. Now, there is this notice here before we keep moving. Simon, this Pharisee, this person that Jesus has now addressed, has no problem noticing the woman's sin, but not his own. Didn't pay attention to that, right? Uh, but that's, that's Simon. That's not like anybody here. So verse 40, and Jesus said, answering to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he's answered, well, then say it, teacher. Verse 41, a certain money holder, money lender, had two debtors. One owed 5,000 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt for both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, well, I guess the one for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Now, this is where I want to see our focus as we move into verse 44. The question has now become, well, which one of him, which one of these people loves the most, loves the person the most, loves the the money lender the most, the one who canceled the the highest debt, of course. Verse 44, this is where I want to see us and get in some encouragement. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves very little. In other words, I have something to tell you, Simon. You have had the same opportunity to love me. You have had the same opportunity to serve me, to be close to me as she has. You have the exact same opportunity. And Hebrews eleven six says, God rewards those who seek him diligently. There are a number of things in each of our lives that I think uh, cause us to miss opportunities to be close to Jesus. There are a lot of things uh, that, that pile up. And every day to day, there are a lot of things that cause us to miss the opportunity to be close to Jesus. But there is one thing that I think really keeps most of us from being close to Jesus, and that is an over-familiarity with Jesus. Simon has become so familiar with Jesus that he no longer needed Jesus, relied on Jesus, served Jesus with everything that he had or drew closer to him. He's so familiar with the things of Jesus that he no longer served him with everything. And he missed his opportunity to be close to Jesus. And I think we get so familiar, especially those of us who have lived a long Christian life or have lived in the church for a long time, we get so familiar with the typical Christian life, especially as our culture defines it. Our Christian culture defines it. Our Western Christian culture defines it. Our American Christian culture defines it. We get so used to living that typical Christian life that we no longer draw closer to Jesus with a focus 
and a desire and a pursuit of him. And that's why a challenge like this, like 90 days, where we are all going to do this together, engaging it right now can be so rich. It can be so rich in our lives because there are seasons that we stay intent on reading something like this. We can stay intent on being focused on a, on a reading plan that looks at Jesus, looks at the life of Jesus, looks at the, the commands of Jesus, and you will see more of Jesus than you have ever noticed before. I'm convinced of that. In these 90 days, if you focus on it and if you dedicate your time to it, you will see more of Jesus than you have ever noticed before. Do not be over-familiar with Jesus. Jesus still has more of himself to reveal to you in the next 90 days. And he is still doing this. He will do this. He will continue to do this. He will continue to show more of himself to you as you keep focusing on him. Don't get over-familiar with what you think Christianity looks like. There is more of Jesus to find. And I am convinced you will find that this, in this reading plan. If you pick back up, if you've got lost, like when we do our reading plans at our church, our pastor is like, hey, you know what? He gave the same to, like in the parable of the people who, like, who came at the end, the workers, right? He still got paid. So if you forgot the, re- the first part of this, like, just pick it up. Like, you, you're going to get paid the same. You are still going to get the same blessing. You are still going to find Jesus in the midst of this next the the remainder of this 90 days if you didn't do any part of the first part. But jump in and be a part of it, and don't be over-familiar, because Jesus has something to show you. Uh, Okay, so flip over to Luke chapter 3. That's where where we are. Um, (laughs) Matt said, oh, good, we're on the same page. Uh, Literally, we are on the same page. So uh, Luke chapter 3, I want to talk a little bit briefly today for you uh, on the topic of what do I do for now? Uh, and I'm going to get a little bit, uh, I think I'm just feeling <laughs> a little bit more philosophical maybe and maybe even poetic, so bear with me. Um, there are several ways that we are on the edge of our seat, um, and we, I, I'm interested in this paradox of how we live our life on the edge of our street, on the edge of our seat, living in an interesting paradox between already but not yet. Most days we can feel that tension of waiting for something that might, in some sense, already be here. And there is this paradox that is intrinsic to the human life, but also specifically, in other ways, intrinsic to the Christian life. Two facets are always in tension. Yes. And no, here and not here, at the same time, already and not yet, at the same time, currently living it out and still waiting for it. And we are waiting expectantly for things that in some senses are already here. Let me look at this paradox as human beings. What does it look like for just us as human beings? I'm going to look at it for what it looks like for us as Christians. And then I want to propose to you from Luke 3, What are we to do in that space? That's all I have for you today. As human beings, I think men and women, uh, we are always waiting for something uh, in some senses that are already here. Think of the stages of our life. We go from childhood into adolescence, into early adulthood, into our middle years, and into our older years as we keep going through 
each season is different than the others, but each season of our life contains the past in some way and the future in some way. We are always looking forward and we are always remembering the seeds of the past. It doesn't matter what age you are, if you're 20, 30, 40, 60, or beyond, you have within you the seeds of what you will be tomorrow. So we live in this idea of, like, even though I'm living right now a certain way and I am a certain person as I am right now, I still have the seeds of me for tomorrow, for what I will become. And like it or not, in some ways, good or bad, you are right now what you will be later. And yet still there is room for growth, to be different later and to change into later. You are already a person that has led you from your past up to this point, that you are who you are right now, but at the same time you are not yet complete, and there will be more to come. Life is a process, and we live in that process. As human beings, we have no choice but to live in the tension of the process of we have past, we have future, and I am who I am now, but I am only am who I am now because of some parts of my past, but then also I have seeds in me for the growth of my future no matter where you are. And life is this process that right now where you sit, you are who you were yesterday and yet also different than you will be from who you were yesterday. I remember the yearbook signatures, right? Like writing in the book, back of the yearbooks, like what's like the common one that you always heard or everybody always wrote in the back of the yearbook, like stay cool, like never change, Right. I, I, I like wrote on my Facebook wall a couple months ago. I was like, hey, for those of you guys who wrote Stay Cool, it worked. So, uh, uh, but I remember like never change, stay the same. That's like, like high school kids are like, don't, don't, be, don't ever change from where you are right now. Uh, that's ridiculous. Like, why would I stay like this? But we also use this phrase. Uh, we also say this phrase. Uh, you you haven't changed a bit, and we use that as a compliment. Um, it isn't always a compliment, right? Uh, I hope I've changed some. In fact, that statement isn't even always true, because I would hope that I have changed in my heart, in my intelligence, in my love, in my mind. Like I hope those things have obviously changed. It's an interesting paradox, though, that we live in, where we love some parts of where we are right now. We don't ever want to see it changing, yet there are still seeds for the future that we're going to continue to become a different person as we are. But there's also part of everything that comes from our past that does make up who we are right now. So there's this weird tension of not, not yet, but, but already. And we live in that place where we are. Human life is made up of all of these paradoxes. You will grasp for breath, and you will shout for joy. You will be vulnerable, and you will have unexpectedly strong moments. You will work, and you will play. You will rock, and you'll roll. You will love, and you will hate. You will hope, and you will despair. You will develop, but you'll also wither in moments. And through all of these, you become the fullest person that you are intended to be, You will become the fullest version of a person that you already are, and yet you will still become. You are constantly coming to be, and at the same time, you are and not yet who you will be. It's crazy. It's nuts. But that's the tension that we live in as human beings. 
And as Christians, as followers of Jesus, we live in a similar paradoxical tension. There is namely one paradox that I think runs through the entire Christian experience. We are waiting on the edge of our seat as Christians for something that in some sense is actually already here. 2,000 years ago, Jesus said, the kingdom of God is here. It is at hand. And yet we still are taught to pray, thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. We are certain that God came to earth in Jesus Christ and we yet still pray, God, will you come here? Will you come and reign over us, over our imperfect world? And the kingdom of God will not come in its completion until Jesus comes again. And yet we also know that we are the kingdom of God here on this earth. Living it out, trying to live it out, the kingdom of God, as we are intended to do. This kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. As Christians, we are redeemed through the blood of Jesus. And yet still, Paul says, we ourselves, who are the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption as sons and daughters. We are forgiven, and yet we remain discouragingly sinful. Each of you is remarkably holy because the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit has made their home in you. We have great moments where you feel that nearness. I feel the nearness of God in my life, and yet still God is hidden from us in a sense. And we know that tension also. Other days where it feels like, He's hidden from me. And Paul writes, now we who can see Jesus now, we can only see him as a dimly lit mirror. But later we will see him face to face. God is here, but he is not as he will be. That's a tension. 1 John 3, 2, John says, beloved, we are God's children now, but know that when he appears, we will be like him. So this is tension of like, yes, I am God's child. I am made in his image and and I am as similar to him. And then yet then Paul says, yeah, but when he does come back, we will be like him. Great. So that's a tension that I live in every day. Do you feel that tension that I'm trying to communicate or at least with me? Okay. Human life and Christian life are both waiting on the edge of our seat for something that in some senses is actually already here. And if we must live in that type of paradox, in that tension, then the important question for us today is the title of what I want to talk to you about. Well, then what do I do? What do I do for now? It is the same question that is asked of John the Baptist in Luke chapter 3. So Luke chapter 3, let's start in verse 10. Verse 10. Uh, And the crowds asked him, what then shall we do? See, I told you it was right there. That's the question. And he answered them, whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none. And whoever has food is to do likewise. Tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, teacher, what shall we do? So the first part was the crowd. Now the tax collector is asking the same question. And he said to them, collect no more than you are authorized to do. Soldiers also came and asked. Jesus, then what shall we do? We're all living here, right? We're all living in this tension, and we all have this same question. And so he said to them, do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusation, and be content with your wages. Verse 15, as the people were in expectation, again, 
we have this tension of living in high expectation on the edge of our seat for some things that are, in some senses, already here. And these people are in expectation, and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Christ. Maybe this is the Jesus that we're talking about. Maybe this is the Christ that we've been looking for. John answered them by saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals I am not even worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear this threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, and the chaff will he will burn with unquenchable fire. Verse 18. So, with many other exhortations, he preached good news to the people. The soldiers, the tax collectors, the entire crowd of people are asking John, well, then what do we do? While we are waiting in this tension that I feel, I feel this tension and I'm waiting, what am I supposed to do? And I have a simple answer that I think is a simple answer to a very messy question. You are to live in hope. Live in hope. Both words are very important, hope and live. We have to be men and women of unrelenting hope because only tomorrow can all of today's promises come true. Only tomorrow can all of today's promises come true. Then every tomorrow will have its own tomorrow. Walter Burkhart wrote this, and I love this. Every human act, every Christian act, is an act of hope. But that means you must be men and women of the present. You must live this moment, really live it, not just endure it. Because this very moment, for all of its imperfection, and for all of its frustration, is pregnant with all sorts of possibilities. Is pregnant with the future. Is pregnant with love. And is pregnant with Jesus. If your dream is to dance, that is your dream, by all means, dream about the Kennedy Center. Dream about where you want to be. But today, you better point your toes to that dusty floor and that creaky floor that you're learning on. If your dream is to become a professional athlete, by all means, keep picturing yourself playing. Picturing yourself playing for the Bears or the Cubs or the Bulls, whichever. But today, you better focus on that drill that you're tired of doing because that drill is making you better. And Lamont said, if you want to be a writer, you can't just hope to write books. You have to love crafting a sentence and recrafting a sentence and recrafting a sentence. If you have discovered in your dismay what you are not, and we discover that a lot, there are a lot of days that I go, oh, I'm not that. Found that out. Thought I would be that, not that. In the days that you discover what you are not, just know that in that same discovery, you are beginning to discover who you actually are. There is so much to you, human and divine, if you open your eyes to look for it. And if you are plagued today in this moment with 
sinfulness, with paralyzed by your guilt, paralyzed by shame for whatever it might be, just not as like Jesus as you want to be. Put your hope in who God says you are instead of how you see yourself. Because he is forgiving. He is a forgiving God. He is an unrelentingly forgiving. And he doesn't want death for you. He wants you to live life and to live it abundantly. It's why he said that I came to give life and live it life to the full. That you would live life to the fullest and live life abundantly. Today is flooded with hope because God has forgiven, because God has wired it into your experience. If life is rough right now, today you sit in hurt. If love has forsaken you, if God's ways seem inhuman and impossible, don't just endure it and call it hope. Don't just try to make it tolerable and call it hope. It's okay to live today's agony. That's okay. If today is painful, if today hurts, if today love has forsaken you, it's okay to feel today's agony, work through the agony, and put your hand into God's hands and cry out. That's okay. Just don't try to block out today's darkness if today carries darkness. Sometimes when it is dark enough, you can actually see the stars. I read a haiku years ago that said, My house burned down last night, now I can see the moon. We could speak of this tension all day because... That tension represents itself differently for each of us today. That tension of not yet, but already. There is something here that I am waiting for, but still tomorrow will bring more. There there is that tension, and we could talk about that tension all day because we know each of us specifically is experiencing that tension, trying to live in hope in different ways. But whoever you are, if you want hope, To be real life, don't waste your today just waiting. For sure, we will wait. That is a part of life. We are waiting for something. We are always on the edge of our seat for something. But tomorrow promises to be rich. Promises to be rich in life, rich in love, and for sure rich in hope. But life and love are here today also because God is here today. Because your brothers and sisters are here today. That stuff is still possible. Even though we are waiting for tomorrow, hope is still here today. The basic word for hope when you read through scripture, the basic word for hope, especially um, in the New Testament, as you read through that word for hope, it literally means to anticipate. There is a sense of a confident expectation for what's to come. Hope is substantive. It is not elusive. It is not just ethereal well-wishing like we kind of make it to be. Well, I just hope it works. That's not hope. Here's some information. Thank you. <laughs> I did not invite her. She's telling me about cereal. I don't know what that's about. Anyway. 
Uh, <laughs> rude. So um, hope has a substance to it. And we, uh, we commonly, we will think through, um, we think through hope like it's this, this big well-wishing for, for tomorrow. I just kind of hope it's like this magic trick. I just hope that it works. And that's not how hope looks. Especially when you look through scripture and you read about hope, it is a confident expectation of the future based on the promises of the past. So when you are living in hope, it is not just this well-wishing, it's a confident expectation, it's an anticipation that is sure that it will come through. If hope is a confident expectation, then it is natural for us to then wonder, what are we expecting? If it's a confident expectation, it's an expectation of what? What am I expecting? What is this hope fixed on? It's the key question if you're going to talk about hope. It's the key question if you're going to encounter hope, especially when you look at it in Scripture. It's not as elusive as it seems. Hope has a focus. I expect this to happen because I was promised it. And if that's the case... We know who breaks promises and who carries through their promises. So hope is only really utterly responsible if we put it on God. God is the only one who fulfills his promises completely, 100%, all the time. That means that we have every reason to live in hope, but hope is what allows us to have confidence now with an expectation for later. And only God is worthy of that other utter hope because it's a confident expectation based on the promises I was given in the past. And only God 100% of the time fulfills his promises. If I place my hope in anything else, my heart may get crushed from time to time. Some people are worth the trust, worth putting all of your hope in. Not every person is worth putting all of my hope into. Only God is worthy of of putting all of my hope, my hope because I can have a confident expectation based on the promises he has given to me. And only tomorrow will today's promises come true. The first time you saw me, I don't know when that was, but I'm sure that your inclination was very likely, I bet he's a lifeguard. And you would be incorrect. (laughs) But I have seen Baywatch, like the shows. For any of those who are maybe millennials in here, Baywatch is a show from the 1900s (laughs) about California lifeguards. Uh, (laughs) I, I work with college students, so I have to explain those things. Uh, my wife also actually was a lifeguard. She uh, was a lifeguard for a long time, and she has explained to me uh, every once in a while, I've talked to her about it, but she's explained to me some of the, um, the points of an open water rescue and what has to happen and how to do an open water rescue. It's a dangerous rescue for the lifeguard to do an open water because the, to approach a flailing adult person in an open water becomes dangerous to the lifeguard because it could actually uh, be dangerous for both people at the time. 
And so in that training, the lifeguard is taught to swim out to the drowning victim and then um, the drowning victim who is in over their head and yell out to the person to stop flailing. I am here. I'm approaching you for rescue. And it's going to be okay, but she's talking to you too. Man. Jeez. Persistent. Um, Yeah, so, uh, but they're taught, lifeguard will swim out to a flailing adult who is in over their head and tell them and call out to them and say, I need you to stop flailing. I need you to stop moving. I am here to rescue you. I'm here to to give you safety. But that's the only way that they can bring that rescue is if you would stop flailing. And to close, I wonder if you can hear the voice of Jesus walking to you where you are, wherever it is that you are in over your head right now, wherever it is that you are feeling that tension of, yeah, but not yet. The things I need are not yet. The things I really need in my life right now are not yet. And I'm in over my head right now. And so I wonder if you can hear the voice of Jesus walk to you where you are, where you are in over your head, and he says to you, stop flailing. Stop moving all around. I'm here. I've always been here. I'm still here. I'm always going to be here but I need you to stop flailing because peace is available. Hope is available. Rescue is available. And I can bring that to you if you just stop moving. Even now, always has been, and also will always be available to you. That's all I got. Let me pray. Jesus, thank you for the opportunity to be with my family again today. Uh, I ask, God, that wherever uh, wherever each person feels that tension, I pray that you would meet them in that spot today. Like right now, meet them in that spot, that you would calm their heart, calm their mind, um, and let them know that you are present, that you are here. So, so all the promises are still here. And not only are all of your promises true, but they are still true. And they are going to be true. Tomorrow they will be true. Give us that confidence to sit where you are and know that you are present and let us see you. God, I pray that as they can, as this body continues to look at your gospels, looking at your life, looking at your commands, looking at the way that you taught us to live, that we see um, something different, that it's not just the way that we've always thought or that we just think it is because we are so familiar with your words that we're overlooking them. Let us see you differently. Let us see uh, what needs to change in my own life so that I look more like you at the end of this 90 days. But let us see with hope for the future based on the promises you have already given us. And we will praise you every step of the way. We will give you honor. We will give you glory. We will give you praise. And we will pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.